This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 250. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Mr. Matthew Marister. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, dude, what's up? Nothing, nothing. Just nothing. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You're 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 part of the world's greatest podcast ever, and you say you're you know nothing. Uh, yeah, just... I mean, at this stage, you know, <laughs> it can't. I can't like eclipse yesterday's uh, time with you on the podcast. So it's like you know, status quo. I, I you know me. I, I I don't get too high, too low. You know, I just status quo for me. So. Uh, People are probably wondering where Jacob is or where he, where he's been. Now, um, I actually thought I was going to record with him uh, Tuesday's episode, well, which we didn't get done until yesterday. And that's pretty much what happened was I got uh, sidelined with some other things. And, and so Tuesday didn't happen. And then um, I felt like he was a little busy yesterday. So I asked you to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Today is a really special episode. It is episode number 250. So we've been at this now for a quarter of... A thousand. <laughs> Will we make wow. it to a thousand episodes? I don't even want of to think course. about that right now because, yeah. you know, like that just like hurts too much. Uh, that's all. <laughs> people, I don't think people realize how much work goes and time goes into this. <laughs> so when I think about right now, as it stands, 250 episodes in, uh, we have over 300 hours of audio content. It's actually quite a bit more than 300 hours. And, uh, it's it's a lot of work and a lot of time. Like a lot of my life in the last two and a half years has been taken up doing the podcast. And uh, I, I wouldn't be doing it still if we didn't have people actually listen. <laughs> so it is because of you listeners that we are at this point. Yeah. It's, it's always cool, man, like to see the live feed and, the, you know, you can see how many people are logging in and stuff yeah. and listening. It's always great. And the the, the feedback we get, the emails, um, it's always it's, it's, it's really cool to, to know that, you know, uh, we help people, you know, even if it's just a couple people. Um, that's I know that's why you started and why you continue to do it. And that's why I enjoy doing it any chance I get. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, actually, Jason here says, man, this is the most live viewers I, I think I've seen. Actually, I've seen, a, uh, I've see, I've actually seen more, but uh, everybody wants to win something today. So, <laughs> and, yeah, woo, there's a little, another little tease. Those that are, you know, uh, watching the live feed, I, I've been teasing them uh, with the uh, what I'm going to give away today, which is, has a value of $50. Um, so we are doing a giveaway today to celebrate episode 250. And... Uh, I am super excited. So I've got it here. You do need to be, unfortunately, if you're listening to the audio podcast, uh, uh, you know, version of this po- uh, episode today, I'm sorry. It means you've already missed the giveaway <laughs> <laughs> because we decided to do this one uh, uh, for those uh, live on Facebook that that join us. Um, so. Uh, you know, so many of you, of you have been participating with us. Um, not not every episode. I, we, I get it. Not everyone's ever able to catch every episode. Uh, I, I, you know, if I was in the same boat, I wouldn't be able to catch every episode live on Facebook either. Uh, but uh, to thank those of you that do support us in that in that in this new medium, because we haven't always done the Facebook thing. Um, this is a little giveaway to 
show our thanks um, for you there. Um, if you are listening to the audio feed and you missed out on the giveaway, well, we'll, we'll do something again for, for all the rest of you at some point as well. Okay, don't worry. All right. So, hey, and Riley, Gary says, you also let us know when you are starting. And that's probably the <laughs> thing. That's why there's so and, many And we actually here. started, well, okay, we started like three minutes late, which was, you know, Matthew's fault. But uh, yeah, no, geez, it was. <laughs> well, kind For of. For once. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Um, you know, we, we, we advertise that we'll do the podcast every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. Um, but the reality is everyone that works here, we also do a lot of other things for ConcealedCarry.com, the business. And uh, I, I'd love to say that we could definitely stick to the plan every week. Uh, the reality is that we rarely are able to stick to that plan. Most of that probably is me. But uh, you know, maybe we'll maybe this episode today will start a new trend where, we're, I don't know, somehow we just make it happen. I don't know. Um, we're going to try to do next Tuesday's episode at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. How's that sound, buddy? Uh, I'll be here. <laughs> if you're not here, I'll just, I, I can't, I can't log in. So you got to log us in. Yeah. The, the other thing, keep in mind, like I'm sure people would, I, I'd, I'd love to be more predictable with this, but the fact is we record a podcast first, um, a live show second. Um, the live show always takes, uh, I'm sorry, it, it takes a backseat to the fact that we try to put together um, the best podcast that we can. And uh, to do that, you know, uh, we're, we're focused on making a good podcast and not just getting it out at a specific time. Uh, but we'll try to do better. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate your support, buddy. He gives us a thumbs up. So um, today's episode, the 80-20 rule of gunfighting skills. We're going to talk about those uh, uh, the, the the 20% of those things that make, I think, 80% of the difference as it comes, you know, as it relates to your ability to use a gun effectively, especially in the context of, of a gunfight, okay, a self-defense uh, scenario. And uh I would think that if 20% of the things now, obviously this is we're, this is a rough rule, right? This is a rough rule. Uh, we're not saying literally, you know, like if there's 20 skills uh, that we're going to be talking about, that literally, what did that be? Only four of those things are the things that you should be worried about. No, it's just a it's a general concept. Those uh, many of you are probably familiar with the 80-20 rule um, in that. In a lot of things in life, and sometimes ninety ten, and you know, that's why it's a general rule. Um, a lot of things in life, you know, there's there's twenty percent of the things that make eighty percent of the difference. Uh, you know, a lot of times, like like this is so true. Well, I don't know if it's true of our company, but uh, you know, places I've worked in the past, twenty percent of the people did like eighty percent of the work. Uh, <laughs> so you know, that's just kind of you know, that's just the way life is a lot of times for whatever reason. So today we're going to be focused on like where you should spend, I would say 80% of your time because it's the 20% of those things that you should spend the 80% of your time on that make the like biggest difference. So mm-hmm. if that makes sense, right? So it's, I, I actually think of it as 80, 20, 80, that you spend 80% of your time working on the 20% of the things that makes 80% of the difference. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a book. I don't know if you've ever read that 80-20 principle, but yep. it's, yeah. So that, the Pareto principle yep. or whatever. Exactly. You nailed um, it. The Pareto you know. principle or, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep. That's, that's what we're talking about today. And Sean says 80% dry fire, 20% root beer. Hey, you know what, <laughs> Sean and everybody else that even cares, uh, you know, people tend, I guess, know that I have a thing for root beer. I really do love root beer, although I, I've, I've been drinking a lot less of it lately than you'd think. Today is not a root beer. Today I'm enjoying a orange juice. Mm, 
Mm, uh, yeah. So what people don't know is I also really like orange juice. Mm. Mm. So tasty. So tasty. <laughs> you like the, you like the orange <laughs> juice with the pulp or without? I, the more pulp, the better. Okay. Like if I'm straining pulp out of my teeth, then I'm happy because, and, th- and this one is a non, well, light pulp variety um, because it, it, that's like the bonus, you know, like after <laughs> the fact, like you, 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 you drink the, the juice and then you're like, mm, but there's some orange here too. Mm, mm, mm. And then, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna spend I'm 80, so kidding. We're going to spend 80% of the podcast talking about orange juice and other non-firearms related <laughs> topics and 20% on the giveaway. And the- <laughs> Okay. I think that means uh, that it's time that we move on. Okay. So, <laughs> hey, today's episode though, I can't, I can't forget to mention that uh, today's episode wouldn't be possible without your support of today's episode sponsors, which would be Guardian Nation. Many of you are Guardian Nation members. Many of you are still not. And we would ask you why, why? Especially when you can get 15% off a USCCA membership. That's huge. That's recently announced for Guardian Nation members. You get access to special members-only content. You get access to our monthly Guardian Nation live broadcasts, which this month on August 30th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, we will be having John Lovell, of Warrior Poet Society on our Guardian Nation Live broadcast. And that is your chance as members to participate live, see and uh, see see every, every, you know there'd be me and Jacob typically and John all live face to face discussing whatever floats our boat, whatever floats John's boat, and it'll be good stuff. Like consistently what we hear from our members is their favorite benefit. And this, this still surprises me and always has surprised me, but consistently we hear, Oh, I love the live broad, the the live, the monthly live broadcasts with uh, Mm -hmm. industry professionals. And, uh, you know, when we first started doing that, we're like, Oh, I don't know if this is going to really catch on, but, uh, that consistently is people's like favorite things. So anyway, this month, John Lovell, uh, live 7 PM, August 30th, and that's mountain time. And uh, it's going to be great. If you don't know who John is, go look him up. He's got a huge uh, YouTube following, a YouTube channel. Uh, he's funny. He's smart. Uh, and he knows his stuff where it comes to uh, using a gun and mm-hmm. self-defense and all that that goes along with that. He was uh, he had a long career in the military, uh, did a lot of uh, great and impressive things for our nation, uh, fighting for our country. Uh, and now he spends his time training a, a lot of civilians. And uh, he's got quite a following. So... Uh, we enjoy talking with John. It'll be a good broadcast. So It'll join Guardian Nation today. If you're not already a member, take advantage of that benefit plus everything else, including the quarterly boxes that just shipped out last week. Um, so yeah, this is this is a good time to join. By the way, uh, you you, may, you just missed a box, and you definitely don't want to miss the next one. A little pro tip, by the way, if you if you join partway through a quarter. Um, you want to join at the quarterly level. You want to pay for a quarter if you want to get that quarter's box, that next quarter's box. Uh, and that's definitely a good way to go. Um, today's episode is also made possible by the Law of Self-Defense Level 1 online course. Uh, that we're definitely would encourage you to do that. In fact, this is going to be one of the things I will talk about a little bit today is that you should definitely spend a part of your time studying the laws, making sure you know the Law of Self-Defense. Because that truly will make a difference. Like guaranteed. Here's here's the thing, right? Like we could we could debate about certain things skill wise, Matthew, as far as like what, what you do with your hands, what you do with the gun, that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. no matter what, every gunfight has the law involved. 
right? Yeah. That's like the one for sure thing. Even if you don't draw a gun, even if a gun's not involved, if it's a knife, whatever it is, like, like if it's a self-defense incident and you are involved, the law is like, that's the one like guaranteed thing that is going to be uh, present in every single event that we dream about, or, or you know, I don't mean like dream, like we want it to happen. You know what I mean? Like that, that we think about that we imagine happening or that actually does happen. Like the law is going to be involved guaranteed. So make sure you know the law by taking this law of self-defense level one online course. Great deal going on now. Concealedcarry.com forward slash L O S D level one. We're going to get into the, uh, meat of the content for today. And just a reminder at some point during the, the episode, and I know we're going to see a huge drop off as soon as we actually announce who the winner is, but, uh, at some (laughs) point, no, not our people, right? They, they, they stick around for the content, not, not the stuff. (laughs) No, but, uh, I just, you know, remember we're going to be doing a giveaway. I'll ask you Facebook listeners and viewers to, to do something here in a little bit. All right. The 80-20 rule of gunfighting skills. So where do oh boy, where do we begin? Where do we begin? We've kind of already introduced the concept, the 80-20 rule, what that is, right? Um what I'm I'm gonna throw it your way, Matthew. I've done quite a bit of talking already. So what yeah. would you say? Like where where do we start with this? You you lead me on down the path. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna start I'm I'll start it out with the things that we think are the most important, like the the things that most people think are the most important. So you go out and you buy an awesome gun, right? You you get the best gun, you go and you start putting on aftermarket sights and you put on a a, a different trigger and then you get the, 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 the grip stippled and then you get a holster and then you go get your belt and you're getting extended magazines and uh, magazine releases and all this stuff, right? And you put like thousands of dollars into your gun and your setup, and then you don't have money to train, or you haven't even thought about like, or you, you haven't gone to a class, you haven't trained, you don't have the money. So you put all this money in this gear. Um, and so I think to start out, we have to start establishing like what's what's the most important thing or what things are are the 80% that's going to affect us, right? If we end up using this gun or what's, how can we do the, what can we focus on that it will provide us the best foundation to use this gun? Is it a good holster? That's part of it. Is it a good trigger or a good gun? Yeah, that's part of it. But there's a lot that comes before that. Uh, you know what? I appreciate you for, I'm glad I threw it your way because this is probably the biggest uh, thing that I see, the biggest fallacy. I'll call it a fallacy. Uh, the, the fallacy is that uh, when, when I'm dealing with a newer gun owner or soon-to-be gun owner, uh, and a lot of times, like the reason why I hear people becoming gun owners these days, the, the, the reason is almost always the same, uh, because the world's a dangerous place, um, and I am deciding now to take the steps to not be a victim, basically. Like, I don't want to be the guy that suffers because I'm not prepared. That I, you know, I didn't get some training and I didn't buy, and I didn't get a gun. And actually, most of the time, people's focus is on the tool. Um, it, it, it's on the gear. And they, they want to know right off the bat. Like, that's always like one of the first questions. Someone that is just thinking about taking responsibility for themselves and 
getting into this idea of having and carrying a gun. And the first thing is always like, which gun do I buy? Right mm-hmm. now, that's I, I get it. Like that, that I, I I know why that's the first question because the, that's just that's just the way it works. Like that's that's where our focus is. Um, that that is the that's what starts out as the the driver. The, yeah, something has to drive your initial uh, desire to get involved in it. Right, obviously outside of you know, your safety, but something has to say, and you, you, you go out and you see these guys shooting guns and you're like, okay, well, what kind of gun do they use? It's just like when we watch sports, like what kind of gloves are those baseball players using or the golfers, what kind of driver do that, you know, does Tiger Woods use? So that's the driver I want. Well, if you get that driver, it doesn't mean you're going to be suddenly transported onto the PGA tour and driving the ball, you know, 400 yards. Um, so there's got to be like a, a you know an, in, an initial kind of stimulus that says okay uh, I want to do this where do I go and so you look at an industry you, you know what you would believe is a professional or something and you say okay I'm going to emulate this person what gun do they use what holster do they use what do they you know and and so I think that's kind of the stimulus and that's why guns and gear is kind of like yeah. the first thing you look at. But let's let's keep it straight. Let's keep it in perspective, right? Because the the reason most people initially, if you know, the first time decide to buy a gun, if they previously, you know, this is t- we're t- typically talking about an adult, someone that for whatever reason up to this point in their adult life has not owned or carried a gun. Maybe they own like a hunting rifle or a shotgun or something like that, but typically for like hunting purposes. But they've never actually seriously considered the idea of a defensive handgun, and and. What what drives that usually, like you said, is something happened in their life, whether it happened directly to them or it happened in the world that they know. Uh, a scary event, like we always see this, after a major mass shooting, like the Las Vegas thing, uh, San Bernardino, even the shooting that happened in Paris a couple years ago, right? Which, totally different country, right? And you had guys with automatic weapons that went to a concert venue and shot the place up and killed a ton of people. And all those people were completely defenseless, of course, right? Um, those we every time those events, those types of events happen, we see this uptick in, oh, now like it, and that's okay, it's totally acceptable. Now suddenly, I have that that drive to make sure that I don't become a victim in, in a similar event. But then that that's that's a purpose. That's the purpose is for us to not be victims, for us to be prepared and ready and able and capable to use a defensive tool to prevent or stop that thing, that bad thing from happening. But then the problem is that a lot of times the sh- the focus shifts over to the gear, to the item, to the, to the tool, um, and that's okay. It's a totally natural shift. So why? Why, why the gear? Well, <clears throat> the question comes up. What what gun do I get? And I would say that for most of you, um, early on, uh, it really doesn't matter too much which gun you get. As long as it's not a piece of crap. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because here's the thing. Over time, people, you the more you shoot, the more you become in tune with what you like or what you prefer or what you need. Early on, you just don't really, you just don't know those those really fine, you know, detailed nuances of like what about, you know, what specifically about this Sig P320 makes it such an ideal gun for me personally. You're not going to learn that 
just from reading a bunch of blogs and and magazines. Like you're going to read somebody else's opinion about why they think it's a good gun for them, but you won't learn why it's a good gun for you until much much later. All right? And usually by the get to that by the time you get to that point you go, "Oh, now I understand that that this is you know, this gun is is the right choice for me or it's the wrong choice for me because I've learned this and this and this about myself and how what what I need to succeed, right? But the uh, on the flip side is a lot of people do buy junk initially. Okay, so the first thing here is I, I know we're supposed to be talking about gunfighting skills, uh, and basically what I think what the, the takeaway from this is don't be so focused on the gear at first. Be focused on the skill building, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm. Um, I- and I, I'll I, okay, go on. I don't want to. Cut, I don't want to piss you off. <laughs> I'll try to do it's some funny. sign language. It's funny when that crap happens, man. No, no. I just gonna. I'm just gonna finish by saying, to be, to keep it simple, buy a Glock, buy a Sig, buy a Spring. I'm okay with a Springfield. Buy a uh, what? Oh, buy a Smith and Wesson. Buy an MP or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm. Okay, HK VP9 or something like that. Oh, whatever, you know. But now I'm starting to get, you know, buy one of those big four Glock, Springfield, Sig, um, Smith and Wesson. But buy one of those four. Like, you can't, honestly, because what's important? Reliability, history of performance, um, you know, it, just they're a decent quality defensive gun, right? All four of those, just buy one of those, right? That's a great place to start. Now I turn it over to you. <laughs> That's the sign. <laughs> so what I was going to say is that like what you're saying, if I sum it up, is that, and maybe I'm wrong, but this is my this is what I'm taking from it, is that there is a big mental component that goes with self-defense, right? Whether yeah. you're using a gun or not. So it, because you have to have that mental component, you have to have the understanding of what is this gun used for and what specific uh what specific qualities of this firearm work for me? And so you don't, you you can't put one in front of the other. So, and and I'll say this, you know, and it might be controversial or people might, you know, say that they disagree and that's fine. I, I, I believe that shooting or defensive shooting specifically is more mental than physical uh, by leaps and bounds. It's not even like 51 to 49. I'm going to say that it is tremendously more mental than uh, the actual physical manipulation of the gun. Yeah. Okay, so we have some really interesting comments coming in, by the way. Sorry, Matthew. I'm looking at these comments, and we have to address some of these. Don Don says, wouldn't someone need to be comfortable with their handgun first? By the way, I I am on record as saying it's a great thing. And by the way, Anita, yes, Anita also said something similar to what I'm about to say. I am on record as saying a great way to get started is to go to a range where they rent guns or find a friend like me that owns a lot of different guns and go to go with that friend or go to the range and rent and try all these different guns. Okay? And 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 just going to a gun store and holding a gun that doesn't tell you what you need to know. You need to, you need to put rounds down range to begin to figure out some of the little detailed nuanced things about that gun. And even then, like I said, if you're not a skilled shooter, you still don't figure that out until way further down the road, but at least you'll figure out, well, this one feels good in the hand. And that's pretty much what it comes down to for most newer shooters is this one feels good. Right. Um, and that, that's, that's fine. Okay. So that I'm on record as saying that, but what I am also saying is that 
the most in in the beginning, just buy a good quality gun. Just buy a quality gun. All right. And you don't and by that it doesn't have to be a very expensive gun either. Just buy a, a and I mentioned four, the four big ones, all right, because they have a proven history of performance. Reliability is probably one of the most important things about a defensive handgun. All right. If not the most important factor, it is one of the for sure most important factors of a handgun. And we start getting in the weeds of all these different little sub models and subsets of models and, and different brands and all this stuff. Like, and some of them, yes, they, 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 they are reliable and people tell you they're going to be reliable and all this stuff. But you know what? You know, you can't go wrong with one of those big four that I mentioned. You, you just, you can't go wrong pretty much. All right. So that's the first thing. All right. And, and my point here is that people f- focus too much on the tool and not enough on the skill building. All right. So to some of these other questions. So Don says, shouldn't someone be comfortable with their handgun first? My response to you, Don, is that is good. That is that is that is definitely a good thing to be comfortable with your gun. Matthew, do you agree? Yes, but yep. how do you develop comfort? Like how yep. do you the the way you develop comfort is by using it. And if you and if you've only used that one gun, you don't you can't compare it to something else to know if you would feel more comfortable or if something else would suit you better. So yeah, we can build comfort around anything. Like we can become, you know, when you're in combat, you become comfortable sleeping in, you know, with with artillery rounds, mm-hmm. blasting yep. all night. So I'm not saying that that you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you know that's what happens when you shoot a bad gun. But I'm just saying like, it, before you say I want to be comfortable with this gun because this is the gun I have and I like it, you have to have something to compare it to, and you have to utilize it under. The, the, the conditions that you would be using using it under. So for example, a lot of people get a gun and they say, yeah. I like this gun. I like the trigger. I like how it feels. Let me go out and practice. So they shoot slow fire rounds. They're, they're taking the, they, they never put that the gun has a safety. They never put it on safety. Um, they're not drawing with it. They didn't conceal with it. They're just shooting it and they feel, and they think it's, 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 going to work for them until they start carrying it and they feel like, okay, now this is too heavy. It's too big. It has a safety. I'm not used to sweeping the safety off. Um, so I'm just going to leave it off. Whereas if they would have seen a bunch of different guns, maybe a revolver, maybe a single action, maybe a double action, then they say, you know what? I don't want a safety on my gun or I do, or I want a thinner gun or I want a lighter gun. So I think I definitely agree that you need to be comfortable with what you're using, but you have to develop a comfort level you know, not in a vacuum, I guess yeah, is sure. what I'm trying to put. But but here's my bigger point. I can take any shooter and put just about any gun in their hand and show them how to shoot it well. Okay? Um, now, that doesn't mean that a gun that fits your hand a little bit better, that feels a little more comfortable to you, um, that, that, that doesn't mean that you won't shoot even a little bit better with that gun. It just means that we have to separate the tool from the skill, all right? Shooting a gun is not, it is both a complicated and a non-complicated process. If we want to make it super non-complicated, it is about holding it relatively steady on an intended point of aim and impact and pressing the trigger so that it stays on that point of aim slash impact. Like that is, that's it. I can show you how to do that with any modern handgun, all right? Now, that's why I say, and most shooters don't learn what they really like and what they really would prefer until they get some trigger time involved. All right. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying you want to make it simple. 
and you don't want to mess mess around with this is a defensive handgun. All right, so you don't want to mess around with some of these other models out there that may or may not be reliable. I mean, there's definitely some that have a track record and history of being reliable. That's very, very key in a defensive handgun. All right. Uh, Don asks, what about Kimber? What about Kimber? I am not advising for a newer shooter to start with a 1911. I'm not. I really am not. Okay. Uh, I think uh, Kimber, a 1911, is something I would recommend for someone with a little bit more trigger time and a little bit more experience using a gun. Okay. So that's why I don't recommend a Kimber for a new shooter, Don. Brad says, no revolvers? Am I the only guy, only guy that carries a revolver? No. Um, I also, I, I, my, my mindset has changed quite a bit on this. Um, I'm okay with a revolver. For a newer shooter, a revolver is okay too. Um, it's not always the best choice for a newer shooter. Now, I realize many of you listening are not newer shooters, okay? Um, you like a revolver? Use a revolver, all right? Um but I did not mention that in my list. <laughs> also, for an, another reason that, Matthew, you would agree with me on this, that most shooters are not using revolvers these days. Like 90 plus percent of defensive-minded shooters are choosing semi-automatics. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and for some obvious reasons, um, you know, capacity is a big one, I think, probably, is mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the biggest drivers of that. Um, yep. But yeah, like what you're saying, as far as the gun, um, if you develop the skill and like you said, you can put a gun, any gun in in somebody's hand and teach them how to shoot it. Right. But if you develop the skills, then you will be able to pretty effectively shoot any gun. It doesn't matter if it's a Kimber, if it's a Glock, a Smith and Weston, a Sky, whatever it is. If you have the skill development, yeah, sure. If you've been shooting a Glocks for all your life and you switch over to it, it's going to take a little bit of, you know, it's a little bit different, but for the most part, you'll be able to shoot it successfully and shoot it well, or at least to a certain standard, uh, an acceptable standard. So that's what I, I think we need to start driving to is develop the skills and then the gear becomes less important. If you put everything on the gear to make you better, or you you believe that this this gun it makes me shoot better, then I think it's the the reverse way of what we should be looking at. We should be looking at develop my skill, and then I will be able to shoot any of these guns. Maybe I'll shoot yep. one a little bit better than the other because it jives with me, the sights and, and things like that. But ultimately I have the skill to be able to shoot any of these guns and that's what we want to get to. Um, and I, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I'm kind of chuckling because Brad chimes in revolvers are far more reliable. True. Okay. So we talk about reliability. You got me there. All right. Um, you hit where you aim at and you won't need 20 rounds. LOL. <laughs> this is all true. But here's the other thing. A lot of times I see guys recommending to, you know, for, for the lady folk, Hey, you know, just get a revolver because it's so simple. You can't screw it up. Just pull the trigger. Guess what? I've seen women that can't pull those double action triggers more than two times. And then they're like, ah, you know, they just don't have the strength for it. I've seen guys struggle sometimes with that even to a, to a, to a degree. Anyway, all right. So let's move on. The very, very first point that took us quite a while to get to, but I think, this is, a, I think this is a worthwhile discussion. Well, it reflects... Stop... It re- Stop. It reflects on what we're doing, right? It reflects it reflects on the conversation <laughs> because we spend eighty percent of the time talking about gear. Like we yep. mentioned gear, and yep. then 
get into this deep, deep conversation because we believe that the, the, the gear is the most important thing. And we haven't even talked about the 80% of the importance of what we're doing. And that's the mental and the training part of it. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just laughing at Jay's comment too. 357 Mag will blow the suspect out of their shoes and you sure will hear it. <laughs> yeah, okay. <dude. laughs> okay, so yeah, I mean, the, the gear is just a tool. All we care about is that that tool gets the job done. That's what tools do is they get a job done for us, right? So if the tool has to do a job, then it just needs to do the job. So reliability is the is the factor, all right? So whether you choose a revolver, a Glock, a Smith & Wesson, I don't give a darn, but my but yeah, that's that's the whole point. Is we just want you to we want to be now we're going to shift the conversation away from the gear. That's the very first thing here. The the, the gear is not in this tw- it's not actually even on this list of gunfighting skills. It has nothing to do with skill. The gear has nothing to do with building shooting skill or gunfighting skill. It's just a tool to getting the job done, mm-hmm. all right? So put the gear aside, get something that just works, does you know reliably, okay? And then we got to now focus on building the skill. All right, so let's talk about the skills. Uh, here, let's let's. I think first off, we, it'd be easiest for us to start, Matthew, by identifying like for sure the things that you got to be able to do. Like if you don't have these skills then you're not going to have a really good chance of winning that gunfight, all right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start it off, and I'll t- flip it over to you at that point, by going back to the example I just used a few minutes ago about how simple it is to shoot a gun as far as, it, the, on, a basics, on, a, on a basic level, it is as simple as holding the gun relatively steady on a point that you're trying to hit and pulling the trigger in such a way that you actually are able to hit that point, mm-hmm. right? So, in other words, you got to be able to hold it relatively steady, grip, right? You got to have at least reasonable grip. Now, by the way, to hit something once accurately does not necessarily require the most amazing, firm, strong grip. Like not you can hold it totally loose as long as you can hold it where you're trying to hit and pull the trigger. But obviously, we want to be using a good grip, a strong grip that allows for repeatable shots in the same place over and over again, right? So recoil. So, so actually, I'm going to throw into this. I actually think now of grip and recoil management as being kind of two different things a little bit. Grip is is the big, 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 big piece that makes recoil management possible, but I think of it as two different things. So you got to be able to have good grip. I think you got to have good recoil management. All right, when we're th- when we're talking about a defensive context, I think you need to have reasonably good trigger uh, mechanics and manipulation. And then you've got to also be able to aim that gun. Whether you aim that intuitively, like point shooting, or actually using the sights. And I do think using sights is important. Um, it's less important than probably some people think it is, although it is... It, it's, it is one of those skills that we do need to emphasize. We do need to learn. Uh, so I would, I'm going to throw out four things right off the bat. Grip, recoil management, trigger control, and sights or aiming. All right? So those are those are four things that definitely are in that 20% list. Like these are things that you gotta be spend you got to be spending time on because they're going to make a big difference for you in your ultimate, you know, overall skill level. 
Right. And so I would add in, um, or I will say that if you're focusing on your stance, spend more time focusing on your grip. If you're focusing on uh, getting, you know, by using the isosceles or the weaver position, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Focus on the things that count like grip. Um, you know, I think I honestly, I think a good, a really firm grip can mask other problems, a, a poor trigger squeeze. Um, yeah. it, so I think grip, that's why I listed it first. Yeah, it, it, it is really important. Um, I would also add in that you have to start thinking about before we're talking about pistol shooting, but I would take it one step back before the actual mechanics of shooting, before the draw, before anything, and focus on your situational awareness and your mindset, because it's all well and good to be able to, you know, put shots on target and be a really good shooter. There are, there are shooters that are incredibly awesome shooters, but they're not good defensive shooters or they don't, they don't, and they might not train to be a defensive shooter because it's a completely different mindset. It's the mindset that you're, you're, you have to have that situational awareness and understand where you are in relation to a threat instead of, okay, this is your target. That's your target. You understand the course of fire, ready, go. And those are the mechanical skills, right? But we're talking, I would take it one step just before you even develop the skills is look at yourself in the mirror and say, do, do I understand why, why I want to get involved in this? I want to protect myself, but why am I ultimately carrying a firearm on me? Like why? And, and yes, it's to defend yourself. And then how do, how am I going to use this? Well, part of it is the physical application of it. And part of it is the morality and, and the legal aspect. That is part of how am I going to use this? Because you have to use it within the confines of the law and within the confines of, you know, your morality. Um, and so I think those are also aspects of what is going to help you win a fight. Because if you know that you're in the right and you know why you're using your firearm, you can respond aggressively. You don't have a second guess. You, you won't, you know, don't you become uh, in your mind, you know why you're doing it and you can respond. If you don't know why you're using it, you're going to yeah. second guess yourself and all the mechanics in the world are, are, are going to be useless. Yeah. No, you know, by the way, uh, I'm seeing a lot of messages on Facebook, people saying, you know, like Jason here says, I agree with you 100%, Matthew. And other people <laughs> saying, love you, Matt. Uh, you're amazing, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Those are I'm paying them all. No, nothing, Check nothing coming. PayPal. No love coming my way, but that's okay. I, I will be the bad guy in this picture if I have to be. No, I, uh, I, I have nothing to say. You know, against what you just said. Obviously, you and I, I know, are, are pretty well aligned in a lot, of, a lot of respects in this. Um. Okay. So, all right. Grip we know is important. Trigger manipulation we know it's important. Uh, I think aiming, and I, and I do talk in terms of aiming. Okay, because what I lump into aiming is whether that is an intuitive point aiming where you are target focused and you are at a reasonable distance, you're relatively close to where you are just pointing that thing and you're using it. If, if you get the job done, that's all that matters. If you're able, able to aim and hit what you're trying to hit, that's called aiming. Now, what, what's a little bit trickier is using the sights, obviously, is a, a little bit more difficult skill and knowing also when you need to use those sights, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I point shoot for sure, like everything at three yards, unless it's a really small target. Uh, you, you start stepping back, you know, at some point you got, you, you got to realize when do I need to actually slow down a little bit, focus on the, on that front sight and aim that shot a little bit more cleanly. Uh, it, it comes with practice. It comes with putting rounds down range and recognizing when you miss, that's usually because well, it can be because of a couple of different reasons, but a lot of times it's because people go faster than they are capable of, of shooting and hitting that target, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we see that in the hex drill. We haven't really talked about the hex drill on the podcast. Um, Guardian Nation members would, would have just seen recently a video in the members uh, area uh, about the hex drill. And it's a new drill that we've designed for the uh, uh, curriculum that we've been rolling out for the Guardian uh, courses, uh, Guardian Essentials Pistol, uh, the uh, uh, Standards and Breakthrough Pistol classes, okay, as part of that Guardian uh, family of curriculum. The hex drill is, we, we see that because you have big target and you have small target and you got multiple of them and you got a lot going on. And what happens when people miss the small targets, Matthew? They're going too yeah, fast. It, yeah, it's always too fast. I mean, and I, I, I know because I miss them. <laughs> uh, it's always because you're trying to shoot too fast because there's points in the in the drill where you you need to shoot quickly and you can shoot quickly because you're shooting at a larger target. But yep. our 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 mind, it's hardest. It's hard to put the brakes on or slow down a little bit when you have to make the precision shots, and it just takes time to kind of get to that balance of like, okay, how far you know how quickly can I shoot where I can shoot a, a, a small target, you know, you know, most of us know how fast can we shoot on a human sized target, high center chest, but these small zones, it takes a little time to say, yep. okay, how, how quickly can I shoot before I'm moving to the next point? And it takes time to develop it. It's, it, it yep. really is a good drill. Yeah, in that res- it is. And, and Brad's asking, he's saying he'd like to know more about that hex drill. Brad, if you're a Guardian Nation member, you can go into the members uh, video area and you can see uh, that, that the video of that drill. Um, at some point we'll release that publicly. I, I, I assume uh, we haven't really decided on that or, or put a timeline to that. Um, it's currently something that's just being used in our classes and something that you can see in the Guardian Nation members uh, videos. Um, all right. So, but yeah. All right. Grip, trigger, sights, or aiming. Um, we could really d- dive deep too on the concept of aiming. There's some really great comments too here on Facebook about about that, uh, which I really appreciate. But let's talk about some other things. I'm, I'm just going to start listing some things off to you, Matthew, and you tell me: Is this something that we would consider in the 20% or not in the 20%? All right. Okay. Uh, stance. I wouldn't. I, w- I would say it's not in. It's not in the. Uh, essential uh yeah fundamental here's here's where i'm at on stance i i'm a lot more like uh grip focused and i know that's a weird way to answer the stance question Uh, what i mean by that is i believe in a two arms extended grip okay because to me that's how i think of grip like your grip is different if you shoot weaver than if you shoot with both arms extended, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, whether you fully extend, lock those elbows or not, I don't care. I'm just talking about two, the two arms are extended equally, if that makes sense, right? Now, mm-hmm. that that's like the only thing I really care about. I don't even think of that concept as being part of stance. Stance is not important as far as what you're doing with those feet 
below your waist. Honestly, it makes little difference. Uh, you, those feet can be pointing whichever direction, going whatever way, whatever, um, as long as up here you are stable. Now, mm-hmm. definitely some things that come into play are having your weight forward, okay, instead of like leaning leaning back, right? Um, and and then being and kind of having a little bit of an athletic stance, I think, is is key too, right? So I would say more Knees of your bent, footing. You're you're ready and able to move. Yeah, I mean, footing's key. Like you just need to be balanced, ready mm-hmm. and able to move, and and by balanced, I mean weight forward. Like that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, because think about it. In 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 a, in a shoot, and this is why I, I I'll go back to using the gun in its context is important. Thinking of these fundamentals in their context. So on a range where it, you slow fire or you're going from point to point, yeah, a stance might be very good. In oh, for help some you things, for sure, shoot, shoot accurately, right? Yeah. It, it, but in an application of a, of a defensive gun use. You might not, you not might not even be standing when you use the gun. You might be sitting in your car. You might be knocked to the ground. Somebody yep. might be on top of you, slamming against yep. a wall. So, if the the idea is, don't disregard stance completely. But if you're focusing on stance as opposed to working on your grip, work focus on stance like one tenth or one five hundredth of the amount of time that you work on your grip because every time you grip that gun or every yep. time you go to use a gun you're gripping it right it, it, but not every time are you going to be able to get to a good stance and i think naturally most you know shooting is partially athletic there's an athletic component to it and i think you know just naturally um, you're going to move to an athletic stance if you can naturally without even thinking about it and so um Yep. So don't focus on stance so much. Here's an interesting comment from Bobby. Y'all are talking like you have plenty of time to think in a shootout, but you'd be better be accountable enough for you to react with an auto natural reaction. Uh, I think I understand what you're saying, Bobby, but um, I'm, we're, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know exactly what you're saying there. I think what we're trying to say is that because of the nature of a gunfight, yeah, like your feet, like you might be moving. You might be running, you might be retreating, you might be seated, you might be walking, you might be... The point is, is that stance, as people think of stance, is not... As long as you have the basic concept of balanced and, at, you know, like ready to move, you know, knees bent, able to, to, to move. Like that's, that's, to me, that's all that matters in the defensive context. That's what we're talking about here. And the other reason why we're talking about these these fewer skills, okay, these 20% of skills that we really want you to focus on uh, because they make probably the biggest difference in someone being effective with a gun or not is because we want those things to be totally automatic, Mm -hmm. right? Because we don't want you to be thinking in a gunfight, like, wait a minute, is this how I grip my gun or is this how I grip my gun? No, that has to happen automatically, all right? You're definitely not thinking about grip when you're worried about being shot at. Right. Okay. I think, I think, I think we made that clear. All right. So here's some, here's, I'm listing some more things here. Moving while shooting, since I just brought that up. All right. What's your take, Matthew? So, okay. So here, here's my take on the moving. I think it's an important skill you, that you must develop eventually. Um, but you, you have to be able to shoot standing still first, right? You have to be able to shoot while you're standing still first before you can add the element of moving because it, it, it is, doesn't make it more difficult. 
but you can only shoot as quickly as, or you can only move as quickly as you can shoot while you're moving, right? Or as, as accurate, while you can remain accurate. So the point is, is that some people, they'll start training and they're not to the point where they're very confident in, in their ability to hit a target quickly. So yeah, I can shoot slow fire. I'm drilling the target. Now I want to practice on, you know, I'm going to move and shoot because yes, we do want to move and shoot. We do want to move whenever we're attacked. That's probably one of the best things you can do to avoid becoming a target or, you know, being injured, um, is just movement. And so, yes, it is an instinctual thing that you need to develop that skill, but it has to come at a certain point. And so I think putting it ahead of these other skills, the core, you know, four that you mentioned, um, kind of it's jumping the gun, so to speak. Um, and it's setting you up to kind of start introducing other factors that are, that you might be shooting very poorly on the move. And then you're like, ah, what am I doing? I I must be gripping the, I must be pulling the trigger. I'm anticipating establish all that first and then work on adding in shooting and movement. Yep. Uh, So, uh, Jake Jackson, he's been on the podcast, uh, before, uh, at tier three tactical, he did a study, and it was really eye-opening. The study, his his statistics show that if you stand still in a gunfight, you have an 85% chance of being shot. 51% of the time in the torso. So this is if you just stand in one static position and you're in a gunfight, so you stand still and you're trying to hit the bad guy, you are 51% likely to get hit in the torso in that gunfight. 85% chance of just being hit somewhere. If you move and shoot, you have a 47% chance of being shot, 11% in the torso. See how big those numbers drop just because you move? It's a lot. Anyone knows that shot at moving targets knows it's a lot harder Mm -hmm. than shooting at a static target. So um, I definitely agree with what you said, Matthew, and I definitely would say that I, I think at least... I, I definitely think that being able to sh- shoot and move is worth worth spending some time on. Um, it's not. It definitely doesn't replace some of those other things. As far as like, you have no business learning to shoot while moving if you have yet to ma- you know mass. I use the, the term master loosely. Master grip and trigger control and being able to aim the gun. Like it makes no sense. I mean, like uh, and Tristan just. Tristan, brother, we are on the same wavelength here. Walk, then run, he just commented. Uh, Yeah, like you've got to be able to do the most basic of things, grip, trigger, sights, you know, or it makes no no point. There's no point to uh, doing anything moving while shooting. But I do think as it relates to, we talk, this is the 80-20 rule of gunfighting skills. It's, It's what might make a difference when you are actually in that gunfight. And I think... Being able to move and and still play shots on target, that I think is a critical skill. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. we need to spend a ton of time on it, but it is something that I would say is important. Uh, I would I would place it above for sure that of malfunction clearing, which would be the one of the next things on my list that I was going to bring up to you, Matthew. Mm-hmm. I, it would be for sure above single well. Single hand manipulations as far as like clearing malfunctions or performing reloads with just one hand, uh, I would definitely place him. Shooting and moving is one of those, it, it definitely needs to be accomplished fairly early on in I mean that in a defensive handgun course. Now, there's a reason why we structure our Guardian curriculum the three days uh, the way we do. It's because it's putting a lot of these things 
in that context. It's putting those these things in, in what we feel is the right order of things. So you don't get into malfunction clearing until day two. And even then, it's a very basic level of malfunction clearing. You don't get into the more advanced malfunction clearing until day three. You don't do anything one-handed malfunction clearing at all till day three. And even then, it's still just a, a little bit, you know, it's not super, super in-depth. It's just we're just getting your feet wet in those things because everything else we're focused on are these much, much, much more critical things that are much more likely to come into play. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have those fundamentals, those four fundamental, you know, um, core uh, fundamentals down, then th- the then the difficulty of adding these other things becomes less important. Like, like they're less difficult to shoot and move. Even if you haven't, when you start developing that skill, it will be less difficult for you because you've established all those baseline fundamentals. And now you're just moving your feet and doing the same thing you were when you were standing. But if you, if you jump the gun, you put that movement before, um, you, you develop that good foundation, then it, it really is difficult to, to develop in the right way. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Use of cover. Where do you place this one? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, from watching a lot of shooting videos, uh, people involved in use of self-defense uh, or in, in self-defense shootings, there is cover available in many of these instances that the person does not use. Okay. And so, yes, using cover is always a great thing. Yeah, I mean, if you could move when you when you mentioned those statistics, it didn't mention about the person who's moving shooting back, right? It's just movement period. It's not moving and shooting. So if you can just simply move and reduce your likelihood of getting shot from 80% to what was it uh, tw- 11 or 17% or or whatnot. If you can reduce it that much just by simply moving, then if you're moving to for the purpose of moving to cover, then you're probably going to increase your odds of surviving, even if you never fire a shot while you're moving. So I think moving to cover is something that you need to understand in a in a in how it works and and why you would be moving to the cover. Um, is it a skill that like you need to, to, to focus on eventually. Yeah. I think you need to understand the context. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you a lot of times people aren't even the, the, the incident ends before someone even has the, the wherewithal or the, the, uh, the, you know, the mindset to see cover and move to it. The, the gunfights either you're either hit or the person's already hit and they're going down um, before you even say, okay, here, there's the tree that I can get behind, or there's a, there's a car I can get behind. So yes, it's a, it's a good understanding of what it is. You know, cover is good to understand why you want to use it, but as far as a skill that you need to like work on, I think it will come naturally. If you just understand my goal is to survive this gunfight move. And if I see, a wall over there, I'm going to move to it. Like naturally my instincts want me to survive. Yep. Let's make it clear that we're talking about cover very loosely here. Um, we're including, I, I, I know you and I are thinking the same way in this regard that I'm thinking cover concealment. We're just calling it cover right now for the purposes of this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Tristan brings up the point difference between cover and concealment. Yes, there is. Mm -hmm. Um, but the reality is in the real world that cover and concealment are almost the same thing as far as 
and I could I could point you to some videos where we see it play out in videos, where just you know it happens in convenience stores or grocery stores uh, more often than you would think, where good guy gets behind rack of potato Pot- chips, yeah. <laughs> and bad guy doesn't shoot at him through the potato chips, even though he could, right? Right. Like it, it, as soon as the target goes away, like psychologically. It, this is just the way we work. We, we pretty much, I mean, unless in that moment we are able to have enough presence of mind, and most people do not, to actually stop and go, wait, I could shoot them through that, then you don't really have to, to worry too much about it. Now, the, the key for sure is if you're standing there and you're like, oh, crap, and you gun you, the gun comes out and you start firing and you've got potato, potato chip rack over here and freezer full of ice and ice cream or something like, like which one do you choose? You know, like definitely go towards the freezer (laughs) as opposed to the potato rack, potato chip rack. Right. But the idea of movement is key there. I mean, that's, that's the first thing. So think of it as a building process, right? Like your process has to identify or your mind has to identify, okay, I need to move. Right. Um, Am I going to shoot on the move? Maybe not. Am I going to shoot or am I going to run and then get to cover and then shoot? Maybe. Or am I just going to book it? to where I can get cover, you know? So I think, yep. think of the, think of it as like, okay, what are my priorities? My priority is to move. Where am I moving to? Am I moving to cover? Yeah. Okay. And then how am I going to move to cover? Am I going to shoot? And you're going to have to develop that on, on the fly. Like as the situation dictates, your mind is going to have to analyze these things and say, should I shoot? Do I, is my backdrop clear? Do I have, am I in a big crowded group of people. If it is, maybe I'm not shooting as I run because there's the, the liability and the collateral damage is too great. So I need to get to this cover where I can get a good position and, and start shooting, you know, well-aimed shots. It, it's, it's situationally dependent, yep. but, um, think of it as, as kind of a building process. Yep. Jay, Jay points out that uh, most ranges will not let you shoot and move. This is so true, which is also why uh, most people are not able to practice this, but I do still think it's something worth practicing. And so he also follows that up by saying that's why you should compete USPSA or IPSC or uh, even IDPA, whatever. Like those would all be, you know, and honestly, I would say USPSA is probably a little bit more ideal for this because IDPA tends because they're rule set to sort of force you to try to shoot most more often than not from behind cover, which there's a reason for that, right? That's a good thing. But if you want opportunities to shoot on the move, USPSA or IPSC shooting uh, is is definitely good. Uh, three gun would also give you some exposure, but USPSA or IPSC uh, would uh, be obviously pistol focused. So you could always use a search trainer for your dry you, fire. You That's, pra- that, yeah, it's- for sure, for sure. But I definitely would say that you know you need to you need to spend some time live fire learning the concepts of shooting and moving and all that as well. Take some classes and go and compete to get that time. If your range doesn't allow you to shoot and move. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. I'm just looking at some comments. All right. Um, anyway, shooting and moving though, I mean, definitely important use of cover also important, but it's not like a make or break thing. I mean, like it definitely is. I think you kind of touched on this. Let's talk about something else though, that I think could be a little bit more make or break. And that is draw. What about draw, Matthew? All right. So I have, maybe I have a weird concept about draw, but like, all right, here, here's my, my idea. You know, um, John Correa watches tons of videos, right? 
And he says, you know, in his analysis, usually the, fir- the, the person who gets the first shot on target wins the gunfight. Okay. And so you, you could correlate that now I must be the quicker draw, right? And so we could easily jump to that. I got to get to be the first one on target. So I got to get my gun out first. But we're not talking about a duel where both people are coming out of the holster. We're talking about a fluid situation where this person already has a jump on you. Their gun might already be out. Um, They might have a knife to your throat. They might not be actively stabbing you, but the threat is right there, right? So, all right. So do you draw out on a drawn firearm? Well, I don't care how fast, how sub-second of a draw you can get. If, If that person already has a gun pointed at you, you, you're, you're going to lose, you're going to lose. So I think we need to have a good draw. It has to be fundamental, right? It has to be fundamental where we can get it. And I would, I, I would, I think our goal is to get sub one second draw because why wouldn't we try to draw as quickly as we can? But I would say don't sacrifice the technique for speed because the difference between a 0.95 second draw and a point or a 1.3 second draw is probably in the grand scheme of your self-defense scenario that may or may never happen is probably not going to make a difference. The big thing that's going to make a difference is when do I use the opportunity to go to my gun and get my gun if this person already has a gun drawn at. And mm-hmm. once I do get my gun, do I have a good grip and can I get that first shot on target? Because that's what you need to do. Not just, not just get to your gun really quickly, but I need to get to my gun when, when I can and get that first shot on target. And, and it may be one second, 1.5 seconds, but I think you have to look at it in the context of, like I said, take it away from the, 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 the theatrical part of how we train and we need to, we need to set standards, right? We need to look f- for a, a, a benchmark of let's try to get one under one second. Okay. That's great. But don't think that just because you have a sub one second draw that you can outdrive everyone. You're always going to be the first one to get a shot on target because it's just simply not true. Unless, like I said, you're at a straight duel and when you hear the beep, both of you guys are going to draw out and he has a 1.5 second draw and you have a 0.9 second and you win. Um, it's not that simple. Yep. I agree. Um, I, I mean, we just talked about it, I think, I think last week about this or something, or maybe it was two weeks ago now, uh, about, yeah, it was last, it was last week. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. To, to uh, basically draw fast or draw slow was kind of the question asked in that episode of the, of the podcast. And I think we definitely agree that, like, obviously, if you've never been able to or you've never drawn quickly, uh, if you've never developed that skill set, then you never, you know, you can't expect to do it suddenly when you need it. So obviously, you should know how to draw fast, but then also understand contextually, uh, you know, you know, you got you to gotta be thinking enough in a situation that... What is warranted here? Do I, you know, do I go fast? Do I go for the stealth draw? Like it's going to depend on the situation. Obviously, we get that. All right, draw I, draw I, is important. I think one thing because draw is so important. I just want to add one more thing, mm. and because we're talking about training a lot, right? And so I want to I want to just throw this out to you and, and ask your opinion because I you know I have mine and I don't think we've ever talked about this. Um, and and maybe some of the listeners have thought about this, but okay. So think about 
you know, the Instagram people and, and all this stuff where they have sub second draws and they're super lightning fast. And I, I think it's awesome. Um, but you know that out of like this, the, the, you know, the draw that you see on that video, they probably had four or five that didn't go as smoothly as that, right? They grabbed their shirt and they said, oh, hang on, hang on. Let me do it over. Oh, I missed the gun. Oh, hang on, hang on. Right. So when we're training, and if we're trying, if our only goal is to get a sub-second draw and anything else we throw away, if it's not per- perfect, we stop, right? We stop the drill. We don't complete our draw because we we want our best draw. We want to get it under one second. We don't want anything less. And that's great. But when we grab our shirt, we don't clear the, the garment, we stop. Are we creating scars that in a defensive pistol shoot, you know, a defensive situation when we go to grab our grab our pistol and our shirt does get caught up over the over the gun, or we don't clear it. it, right? You have to be able to fight through it and know that, yeah, I'm not going to get a sub second draw this time. Sorry, but I'm going to get my to my gun and I'm going to get shots on target, even if I have to shoot through my through my shirt, even if I don't have it, you know, if I have to clear my garment two, three times, I'm going to fight to my gun and get to it. And I don't want people to get the idea that like they're training for a singular thing, a sub-second draw, because you're not training for a sub-second draw. You're training to get that gun into the fight and win. And if, it, if you get a sub-second draw, awesome. But if you don't, keep pushing through and and train through that. Now, I know that sometimes it can get dangerous when you're trying to draw and your gun gets caught up in your shirt. I know. And so you have to use your common sense and say, you know, am I going to fight through this? Um, or am I going to put a pause on it because I'm muzzling myself? I, I, you know, my guns come out in such a funky way that I'm muzzling myself. Obviously you got to use common sense, but if you, if you stop every time that you don't get your perfect clearing of the shirt and grip, um, I think, I personally think that you're kind of setting yourself up for, for failure down the road. And I, I don't know if you agree or, um, or how you, how you think about that. Uh, I don't disagree. That's for sure. As far as, uh, I- I'm thinking about our classes that we mm-hmm. teach and, uh, everything's about context, right? Everything's about context, but definitely what, for sure, what matters is, so, you know, there's there's times where okay, we when we are tr- when we are training or practicing, especially when we're practicing, your practice should be spent getting everything down. You know, the same way, consistently, repeatedly. Oh, you know, so that that is it needs to become muscle memory, right? That's the purpose of training and or practice. Like for much of that time, it is spent getting those basic uh, mechanics, the fundamentals, so that it is done correctly all the time. Okay. But there are also times too, like in our, in our class, in the guardian, uh, the the level one, two, and three courses that we teach where we are trying to measure what a student is physically, uh, capable of achieving, right? Just so we can see kind of where they're at and that creates a baseline so we can measure that growth. So we just have to keep in mind in terms of context that, the example, you know, what I'm thinking about as it relates to that is that I am merely interested in what is this student capable of uh, achieving at that moment, and mm-hmm. I, I want to get as accurate of a read as, as we can. The rest of the class is that's a small part, part, you know, where we're measuring what they're capable of. The rest of it is about you know, actually doing that now through a variety of drills, doing it on the clock, doing it under pressure, you know, doing it in different different situations, different positions, whatever it is. 
so that that that's that's the only like as you were talking, I'm like I was thinking back through everything that that we do as instructors, mm-hmm. and and I, I guess that's my one response. And but the key is for those listening to the podcast for practice and training, like you got to be doing, you know, that's why it, it's you got to be able to go fast and slow. You got to be able mm-hmm. to practice and get the repetitions that are done correctly and perfectly every time. And then you need to build up that speed. And I do think it's important to push the limits, to push yourself. What you'll find when you do that, and it happens to me all the time, is that you start trying to push, you, you start trying to push that envelope. You know, you, you start trying to push that line just a little bit further. And then you end up getting hung up in the shirt. You end up grab it, you know, missing your grab grab on the shirt and, and grabbing the grip of the gun through the shirt, stuff like that. You you do need to understand that and there there are times where I will stop because of maybe it's a safety issue, but there's also times where I'll just fight through that because you know, in the real world, that's what you gotta do. So it's it's yeah. all about context, right? But anyway, all right, let's move on from, I mean, draw, I think, I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with us here that uh, draw is definitely one of these skills that needs to be, you need to spend some time on doing, okay, and doing it correctly and, and being able to draw effectively, okay? So, so far, this is what I feel like we've identified, uh, Matthew. Um, grip, um, and I, I spent some time talking about recoil management, which, I mean, most people would think of terms of grip, but I... I yeah, anyway, grip and recoil management, whatever, right? Aiming the gun and pulling the trigger, uh, you know, good good trigger control, right? Those those three things are like the big three, the top three for sure. Got to be able to do those things. Um, I think draw comes closely on the heels of those top three things. I think mm-hmm. being able to get the gun out, because we're thinking gunfight. Mm-hmm. We, we could debate fast, slow, all this other stuff. That doesn't matter. The the The... The end goal is, though, that we still have to be able to get that gun out effectively uh, in a gunfight. So I think draw has to be like, if we were to put these in a priority list, I'd I'd, I'd almost have to say that's number four um, over a lot of other things. Um, That may or may not be the case, but I do think it is really close to the top. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think in some of these, as we talk more about like draw, it can go off in a tangent into gear because when you start looking at your draw, then you're going to look at, well, how do I carry my gun? Where do I carry my gun? What kind of holster do I have? You know, so establish the fundamentals, you know, understand it. And then you can start looking at, you know, that's why people go out and buy a very expensive holster and they might find out that they can't draw from the small of the back, that they simply just don't feel comfortable or it's not you know, it has ups and downs or whatnot, but they might feel like, Hey, appendix will work great for me. So I think, you know, like we, I don't want to rehash the gear issue, but like be, that's another reason why I don't jump out into focusing on the gear first, uh, develop the skills. And then you'll, you'll find out what you need to equip yourself to be yep. able to, to, uh, to, you know, replicate those skills. Yep. Hey guys. I'm going to take a little break here. We've still got a, a little more content we're going to cover and uh, appreciate you sticking around with us for quite a while now, but I'm going to ask you to do something right now. All right. And that is those of you on Facebook, you're going to, you're, you're going to need to get the keyboard or the thumbs ready on the phone, depending on how you're watching this in the comment. I want you to do, what should we do? Hashtag something hashtag. Hmm. Let's go with, Hashtag concealed carry. <laughs> How about that? So hashtag concealed carry. Type that into the comments right now. If it, to be considered or 
entered into the draw for today's, and let me tell you what today's prize is, because this might make a difference whether you want to partic- participate or not. <laughs> Who doesn't I, want something free? I, I know, right? This is as good as $50 cash. I have here a gift certificate, and this went out in a couple of boxes ago, a Guardian Gearbox, but we still have some of these left over. Uh, and so we are, I am going to give any of you that hashtag concealed carry in the comments of Facebook today, we will send this to the randomly selected winner, $50 value to SSP eyewear. They make some pretty good, uh, they're, they're value based. You know, they're definitely not like Wiley X or Oakley or whatever, but like they, they make good quality eye protection gear or eyewear. Honestly, I really like it. And uh, fifty bucks will get you a long way. You can you could probably get two sets of the lower priced options, or you can get a, a really decent uh, set of eye protection eyewear um, from SSP Eyewear. Fifty dollar gift certificate, boom, just like that. Hashtag concealed carry. All right, if you want to be considered for the drawing, and I will I will go through these comments. Uh, we will do that drawing in about five minutes or so. It just kind of depends on when the next natural break in the conversation occurs. So you're going to want to stick around. All right, wow, man. Ooh, yeah, good. This is great. Fantastic. All right, hashtag concealed carry. This is last call, last call, because if you missed it now, you, you, you missed. All right, so type that in there, and I'll get you put into the random. Uh, we use random.org. Uh, it's a list generator, and we'll put everybody's name in there and it'll randomly pick somebody for us okay so that it's nice and fair and uh not biased now matthew you're not eligible <laughs> no all right i'll delete my my post <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so continuing the discussion here um here's a bit here's another i think big one potentially okay uh tell me where you're at with single hand shooting i think okay Obviously, you have to develop your two-handed shooting before you can shoot single-handedly. Um, you know, and sometimes we don't live our lives on probability numbers, right? Because if we did, probably a lot of people wouldn't carry because the probability of you getting involved in a shooting is very rare, right? So mm-hmm. if you said, you know, I'm more likely to be in a car accident, so I'm not going to carry my gun because, you know, but we don't live like that. But in the reality... The, the probability of you having to shoot with one hand is probably very remote, right? Um, it could be because you're injured, could be because you're carrying something like a child or like a bag, or um, it could be that you're, you know, pushing somebody out of the way and, and, and you have to only use one hand. I think it's definitely a skill that you should develop in the fact, in, in, the scenario or the case that you need to use it, you know that you can grip the gun with one hand and put well-aimed shots on target. Um, you know, and while we're at it, do we shoot one-handed with our offhand? Yeah. Why not? Like why not develop these skills? So you have more in your tool belt. Um, I, I think these skills are definitely something that you need to develop, but is it in the top tier? I, I wouldn't put it in the top tier personally. Mm-hmm. And I, I know some instructors that, you know, you have to, you have to be able to shoot one handed because what if you're injured? Well, yeah, absolutely. But, um, what do we develop first? And I don't think this is one of the skills that is a, is a core element of, uh, of what we need to develop. I, I, I'm going to flip you up, up on your head a little bit here because, uh, and if anything, just to have a differing opinion, uh, just for sake of uh, discussion. But, uh, and now I don't know how core of an idea it is shooting one-handed. I don't know where on the spectrum that falls exactly. 
Um, but I am leaning towards putting it in the 20% category. <laughs> and here's the reason why. The reason why is because if you do review a lot of shooting video, um, a lot of times uh, people, for whatever reason, resort to that one-handed uh, grip. I don't know all the reasons why. I have some suspicions. Um, and once again, I, I do think that someone that spends a good deal of time, like mus the muscle memory is that I draw and I present with a two-handed grip. Like, I, I would be shocked. I honestly would be, but it wouldn't also wouldn't surprise me like after the fact that I actually went to one-handed for whatever reason, just because knowing what I know about real life shootings, but I, w I would still be a little bit shocked. But you know, I I literally do every week. I don't think people realize I do several hundred repetitions at least a week of just draw and presentation, like just because it. I feel like out of a lot of the skills, I, I can't go to the range every day. I can't put r rounds down range every day. Um, and shooting itself is a perishable skill. It, it goes bad very quickly. Um, but I augment that with a lot of dry fire. But one thing I definitely can practice just like I can at the range. Now, I, at my range, I can practice drawing from the holster, okay? I know many of you cannot. Um, but the one thing I can do at home, full speed uh, or slow, you know, whatever. I but I can. The point is, I can draw from my holster and get a good presentation, full speed. And so that's a great thing. I, I spend a good deal of time. I I don't I don't go crazy with it, but I probably do twenty to fifty repetitions, depending on the day per day. So I probably do two to three hundred per week. It's just something that I do. I always have, and I like that to be solid. Okay. Um, I, I do feel like that's made a difference for me in being able to get the gun out. So I would be shocked if suddenly I'm in a shootout and I, I see video of myself after the fact and I just drew and used one hand. At the same time, I can see situations where I can understand the mindset. Um, keep in mind that when crap hits the fan, our brains go to our monkey brain right? <laughs> That's why we want things ingrained, you know, as automatically as possible. And the monkey brain sometimes is, is funny. I, I think what happens is people go like the brain, the monkey brain switches on and goes, well, you don't, you don't need two hands. Like that's just slowing you down. Like just get the gun out and shoot. Like I literally think that's probably what's happening to a lot of these people I is, think you're that, right. is that the monkey brain takes over and goes, what's this two handed business? Just get the gun. It's a tool, you know, just get it out and shoot. Um, so I do think your odds of using two hands in a gunfight are vastly increased if you do regular dry fire and live fire practice coming from the holster. But at the same time, I do think that being able to shoot one-handed based on statistics, based on every all the examples that we do see, and there are a lot, I think you should know how to shoot one-handed. Still, I'm a little unclear as to where to place that in the spectrum. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's it's the one thing in our guarding curriculum that for a long time I debated back and forth, back and forth, like, where do we place this? Remember, we wanted to kind of progress through that, through those three courses in, a, in, a, in what we think is the best way as far as maximizing these skills uh, in the right order. And that was one that was kind of like, I could see it here, I could see it there. And I think I'm still trying to figure that one out. I, I, I think it's in a gray area. So I, yeah. I, I guess I'm not really countering necessarily what you said in that. I, you sorted I it. <laughs> as far as like, I haven't said that it's in one pot or the other necessarily. But I mean, other than, yeah, I, 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 I think you were saying for sure it's in this pot, but I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. And here, here, here's just, um, I'll, I'll just tell you kind of 
the the my rebuttal or or, or whatnot. Um, I love rebuttals. So so the people that you see using their one hand and shooting, right? A lot of these shootings, they end up they ha- probably have limited skills, right? Like limited training, because a lot of, truthfully, the, a mm-hmm. lot of the people we see in shootings have limited training and they're able to get one hand on the gun and shoot and, and hit a target because a lot of these are so close, right? They're just yes. pointing the gun and shooting. Okay, and that, so, that's the other factor for sure. Right. You're much more likely to be like, oh, I could just hit this guy. He's five feet away with you know one hand. Exactly. So I think that that's probably a skill that they go, or that's probably something that a technique they go to because of the situation, not because they trained to shoot one-handed. And I think if you practice shooting, if you're a good two-handed shooter and you're using the fundamentals and you have a good grip and you, you understand what the gun's doing in your hand, I think that you would naturally be able to shoot pretty well one-handed, like at least well enough to get shots on target when you would need it in, let's say a three or five foot context. So that's why I, as far as like training it, I don't, put it as high as some of the others, because I think it's a skill that is kind of developed through developing the other skills, like developing your grip, developing your two-handed shooting, developing your, your ability to see the sights and, and, and point shoot. I think those types of skills will kind of bleed over to one-handed shooting and you'll be able to apply one-handed shooting kind of instinctually based off of the other skills you develop. And that's why, you know, that's and just why I, I think there's some truth to what you're saying there as well. I also think that on the flip side, I think if you practice shooting one-handed, that it probably <laughs> improves the two-handed shooting skills as well. Um, and Absolutely. I would also say if you're going to practice shooting one-handed with the right hand, I would also say practice shooting left-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, I think you learn some stuff from that. I'm not saying that it, this is something that's likely to be important to you in a gunfight. I have not – well, I, I'm aware of one or two instances on video where an individual – actually switched hands to, and one of those was a John Korea active self-protection video that was in South America someplace. And it was a, it was a cop or security officer and she was wounded in the gunfight and she actually switches hands. Um, so that is, you know, it, it is not something that you see very often, but at least there is documented instances of it. So that tells you that it could be a factor, but it just isn't, it's definitely not like, we could argue about this one-handed uh, strong hand being in 20% skill group, but one-handed uh, uh, weak hand or support hand definitely is not in that 20% group, I would say. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I figured you would. <laughs> Matthew just goes along with whatever I say. <laughs> uh, I got I to hope that you pay me, right? So I got to go with what you say. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, so all right, I think I've got everybody plugged in that that hashtagged concealed carry, and uh, I am about so ready to hit the uh, the button here. All right, so, are you going to share your screen and what? Or how does it work? Do, how are we going to know? Uh, so, like, you don't trust me or or what? I trust you. I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> maybe open your James doesn't trust you. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. All right, you know what? All right, we'll put it on the screen. That's cool. Uh, here we go. Let's Transparency, see. right? <laughs> Random.org, okay? So um, I have plugged everybody's names in here that, uh, con- that hashtagged concealed carry in the comments of Facebook here. I click randomize, so it randomizes this list. There's that. That's how many actually uh, did it. And uh, here they are in random order, okay? And 
that's just how I'm going to pick is the number one is the winner. So congratulations, Jordan J. You are the winner of a $50 gift certificate to SSP Eyewear. Nice. Sorry, everybody else that did not win, but Jordan J., congratulations to you. So send us a, a message, a PM or DM or whatever they call them these days. Uh, send us a message to Facebook, uh, to the Concealed Carry page, and uh, with your name and in, and just send us your name and address at where you want this. To, we'll, we'll Actually, we don't have to mail it to you. We're just going to give you the code, the coupon code. Does that make sense? So what was I thinking? I mean, might, maybe it would be nice to mail it to you, but we're just going to give you a coupon code. It's much easier that way, right? <laughs> so send us a message, and we will respond with that discount code. And it's not even a discount. It's just literally $50. It's not like you have to order a certain amount to get $50 off. It's literally go to the store, use the $50, and pick whatever eyewear you want to buy. Congratulations, is, Jordan J. You are, are you there? the lucky is, winner. Is Jordan still there? Where is he? Oh, if he doesn't claim it. Jordan, where are you? Come on, buddy. Oh, buddy, buddy, buddy. We might have to pick again. <laughs> we'll give him how how long should we give him? I think somebody should. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's see. I'm gonna start a stopwatch here. All right, Jordan. There, there. Did he reply? There. Jordan Jones. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Boy, calling it close there, buddy. <laughs> uh, I yeah, he, he was probably already sending us a message or something, but uh I guess I should have said, hey, reply, buddy. Uh, okay. <laughs> Could you hold that? Well, I have a piece of, of tape over to it, over it, and I've been kind of also covering it. So even if it's see-through, Michael, you can't see that code. Sorry, bud. <laughs> okay. All right. So, cool. Good stuff. All right. So, one-hand shooting. Um, I, I I still think at least dominant side hand uh you know, do it, practice it. Um, maybe not spend a ton of time doing it, but I'd say spend a little bit of your time. All right. Now, one way you could approach this, a lot of times you go to the range. Um, I like to go to the range with a specific list of like, I'm working on this and this and this today. Okay. Um, and so if I am working, like I'm always working on aiming, right? Like that's the beautiful thing about those top three things. Like you're always working on grip. You're always working on trigger control. You're always working on aiming the gun, right? You all, no matter, no matter what, cause you miss what you're trying to hit at and you're like, oh crap, I got to go back to, you know, aiming the gun. I got to use my sights more or whatever it is. Right. Um, there are some specific drills you could do that might, you know, as far as like trigger manipulation drills, um, or even if it's dry fire, like somebody mentioned earlier in the comments, we'll use the, the old penny on the front sight trick, you know, and practice this at home. Yeah, like definitely. There's some very specific like sight uh, or aiming drills or trigger manipulation drills or whatever, right? But the cool thing is whenever you go to, to the range to practice, you're always working on those three fundamentals for sure. Then beyond that, you know, not all the time, but once every two or three or five, just depending on how relevant I think it is, uh, of range sessions, you know, once out, of, once out of every five, I probably spend a little bit of time practicing shooting one-handed with, um, with my, my weekend, but probably every other range session, I spend a few minutes of practice with my dominant hand. 
just because I, I think it's a great skill to, to work on. And it's something that's also challenging. Here's the other thing too. If you get to a point where you're relatively comfortable in some of the more basic things, then it frees you up to spend maybe a little bit more time or, or focus a little bit more on some of those lesser important things as well. That's the other thing to realize from this. We're talking, a lot of the time here, we've been talking from the like perspective of you're just getting started. Like focus on grip, focus on trigger, focus on sights or aiming, focus on draw, focus on... Uh, those four things for sure. Um, <laughs> maybe a little bit of moving and shooting, but like those, that's where you want to be focused. And as you start to get those really solid, then start looking at these other things. What about reloads, Matthew? Yeah, I was going to throw that at you because that's something I see all the time. Like that's probably one of the biggest videos I see across, you know, the interweb. Um, Facebook and, and Instagram are videos of people doing their, their reload drills. And I think it's impressive. Like I'm not, not knocking at all. I think it's very impressive. Um, but like I see, and, and it goes back to kind of like the draw where your shirt gets hang up, hung up and you stop. And I see, you know, um, a lot of people, they'll practice their draw. They, they squeeze the trigger. They come back, they do their draw. They, they, uh, or they, they do the magazine change, they present the gun, squeeze the trigger and that's it. And so it's like, I don't know if, and, and, and hopefully, and probably they're training other, you know, outside of that, but I don't know if they're building a, you know, kind of a cadence in their own mind is I shoot, I do my magazine change, I shoot. And it becomes kind of like, almost like a second nature type thing, um, where, you know, it's good to be able to change your magazines quickly, right? I mean, it's important, um, but uh, it's but is it something that's probably going to happen during a during a, a, a fight? Probably not. I mean, you're more likely to want to carry, you know, instead of a spare mag. Maybe I mean, I think carrying a spare mag is definitely important because it's not only for changing uh, or, or capacity, but the likelihood of you needing to use that magazine probably remote, it's more likely you're going to use, uh, you know, your phone or use a trauma kit or use something else. Um, so I think practicing those skills are important, but I would say it's further down the line. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think, I think, but here's the thing too, like we also have to look at some of these skills from the con from the perspective of how hard is it to actually learn that thing? Mm-hmm. For instance, Learning to shoot well, one-handed, is, I think, a lot harder than learning how to insert a magazine into a gun, you know, because there's just a lot more going on there, right? So, like, learning to reload a gun, especially semi-automatic, is not hard at all, and it's also very easy to practice, right? So, that's reloading is one of those things where it's not likely to come into play in a gunfight for you. So thus, we kind of have to put it in the category of not that critical to practice that often or all the time, but at the same time, it's also pretty easy to do. So um, it's not hard to spend, you know, 10 minutes once a week, 15 minutes, maybe once per week and get a bunch of really good reps on reloading. And like, that's all the time you'd have to spend for that week. You know, if it, even if it's something that you're doing, like for me as a competition shooter, we do reloads way more frequently. And uh, so I spent a little bit of time working on reloads for that purpose because I want to perform well in the competition. Um, but, 
even then, I, I it's still not the thing that I spend the most time on, at least handgun reloads, because there's other things that hold me back more as a as a competitive shooter, even right. Mm-hmm. So flipping that back into the defensive cat, you know, world, reloading is just not typically that important, but it's also not hard to spend a little time on and be generally proficient with it, at least proficient enough. Where I see people having more of an issue with is like how they carry that spare mag. Like that's usually what holds them back as far as reload speed. Where, is how? They just like, they just throw it in their pocket and then when they, when they need it, they're all like, you know, <laughs> takes them five seconds to get out of the pocket, but only half a second to put it in the gun, you know? Mm-hmm. So like that, that's honestly like probably the bigger thing with reloads is how you're actually carrying the spare mag. Now, several of you have commented in the comments that you don't carry a spare mag. Um, that's, you know what? Okay, it's cool. Like, I carry a spare, like, always. Um, and there's a kind of a paranoid part of me that feels like I, <laughs> you just you just don't know what you don't know, you know? And, and <laughs> that sounds really funny. But, mm-hmm. you know, two is one, one is none, that, that old saying. You know, it's just... I like, uh, I tend to be more prepared than the average person. I carry crap with me that most people don't, uh, because I think of it as it's really not that hard for me to carry a spare mag. So I do it, but at the same time, let's be practical. And I'm going to throw out now, and I, I think I'm kind of done with the shooting skills portion of this. We've, we've hit on, we've touched on reloads. We've touched on malfunctions, not that important, right? comes later on something that you can focus on mastering when you've mastered everything else that comes before it right we've touched on all these things but here's two other things we haven't touched on matthew one would be hand-to-hand skills fighting right Mm -hmm. and the other would be medical and we could also throw a third thing in there and that would be less lethal options so let's just touch on those real quick there are plenty of documented instances where physical contact is involved, right? Between, you know, the good guy ultimately draws a gun and they use the gun, but there was some amount of physical contact that occurred before, during, or after even. And so having the ability to use, to go hands-on, you know, to use your hands, your body, your arms, whatever it is to defend yourself or fight back physically, that's another skill that I think, a lot of people, most shooters do not spend any time on at all. And I, I think that's a bit of a travesty. I would say even more concerning is those that aren't prepared medically speaking. Now, I understand people are a little bit wary of carrying some sort of medical gear or equipment with them because they don't feel qualified to use it. Well, get qualified or get some training in that. I think if you carry a gun, you should be carrying at the very least a tourniquet, right? Because the reason why the reason why tourniquets are so key in life or death scenarios like we are always talking about in the podcast is because we can handle less um, less serious wounds. We can handle those in, in a variety of ways. And time is not as much of an issue, right? Like typically, depending on where you live, obviously, but let's just say for most of you that live in a relatively urban or suburban area, first responders, EMS, can be to the scene in 10 minutes or less. That's very reasonable to presume. You are not going to, if, if you don't have an arterial bleed, uh, you you will survive, okay? Provide you, I mean, arterial or some major central nervous system, something or other, right? You could be shot through the lung and you might have a collapsed lung on the one side of your chest 
and you can survive 10 minutes. I know because I've done it. Not that I got shot through the lung, but I've, I've punctured and uh, lost compression in one of my lungs. And uh, yeah, that it sucked and it was not fun, but you'll survive a few minutes at least. Okay. If you have arterial bleed, then um, you have minutes, sometimes less, you know, two minutes or less potentially, depending on the, how bad that, that, uh, that bleeding is from which artery and especially. So um, if you carry a gun, I think you should be carrying a tourniquet, right? Because with everything else, if you know somebody slashed you and, and opened your arm up from elbow to wrist, yeah, that sucks and it's going to freaking hurt. But you, we can grab somebody's shirt or something and we can get that on there and control some basic bleeding. But as long as an artery wasn't you know cut in the process, like you're going to make it, right? You see what I'm getting at? That's why tourniquets are so key because it's to fix that one time where you get shot in the femoral, you get shot somewhere else or somebody else does. And you can throw that tourniquet on that's, you know, where they have two or three minutes maybe before they bleed out, right? So before you carry a spare mag, you should carry a tourniquet is kind of where I'm at now. But I always carry, uh, I always carry both. So, so it just kind of goes with me. Now, John Korea is starting to convince me into the world of, I should be carrying maybe more le- less lethal options. Like in pepper spray is the, is the common one. And uh, I don't always carry pepper spray, although I do sometimes, I'm just, I'm still, you know, I, I'm still, I guess, migrating in that direction. I, I will probably add that to my, to my daily kit at some point, um, you know, which will mean I'm carrying a gun, spare mag, a tourniquet, and probably some pe- pepper spray plus a knife. Like, where do you put all this stuff? That, that's why priorities are important. At the very least, I have my gun and, and a knife, and then next I add a tourniquet. And then next I add a spare mag and then maybe eventually I'll, my priorities will change and I'll, I'll flip spare mag with uh, pepper spray or something. I don't know, but that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll just touch on the fact that like when you were talking about self-defense and medical training, I think a component of that is your own physical fitness and Absolutely. you have to be. And so as defensive shooters, there's part of a part of the defensive shooting population that we say, well, the gun is a great equalizer. So it doesn't really matter, you know, it, like they might be an elderly person, right? And physically, they're not going to go and start training in Krav Maga or something, right? They're, they're not going to be able to physically defeat an assailant. Um, so their, their context or the way that they look at self-defense hand-to-hand, like it might be, I want to be able to be healthy enough where I can at least just you know, I, I'm not bedridden or I don't need to, you know, necessarily use a walker if I don't have, you know, like I might stretch and walk around the block. So I, I maintain a certain level of mobility in, in, in health. And so that might be for, for an elderly shooter, for, for younger people or people that are, you know, maybe they smoke or maybe they drink or, or maybe they don't, they're, they're not doing healthy things. Think about like your ability, not only to defend yourself against somebody, if you are at least a little bit more physically fit. I'm not talking about getting martial arts training, hand-to-hand combat yet. I'm just saying your physical fitness, right? And then your ability to survive an injury, you're able to survive a lot more um, trauma if you are more physically fit. I mean, that's why um, certain people, you know, they, they get injured and they die from a seemingly 
benign injury because they had other pre-existing health conditions. So try to focus on, you know, maintaining a certain level of physical fitness. Um, and that will not only help you survive hand-to-hand situation, your defensive force encounter, but like it will make you better in life in general. And it probably will make you more aware of your surroundings because now you're, you're just, you're more aware of what's going on instead of being either in, in, you know, uh, in pain or, 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 you know, focus on something else. So I think a big component of, of, you know, that aspect of it is, is just maintaining a base level of, uh, of physical fitness. Now, if you can, and if you're able to, yeah, definitely hand in hand because, not every the gun is not suited for every defensive situation um you know it, it, it can be a great tool but in some situations maybe you know hand to hand is much better so mm-hmm. um i think you know you want to seek those out so the 80 20 rule i'm going to put that you know in, in the the not so important category um but as far as hand to hand combat but i'm going to put physical fitness just because it's a life you know, I don't want to sound like some, you know, spiritual dude, like Yogi or whatever, or like, <laughs> I, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like, um, trying to be supernatural here or anything, but like, what I am saying is that you, your physical fitness or just a baseline physical fitness will help you, your mind, your body, your soul, your, your ability to shoot and everything, your ability to survive. Matthew, the hippie marister. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, oh, I, hey, I, I really appreciate everything that you shared there. And, and I mean, th- there's so much uh, truth to what you just said there. Uh, I guess where I'm coming from is uh, before you like, like we definitely want to get to a point where your shooting skills are, especially in the really core fundamentals, are, are really solid. But before we probably start spending a lot of energy on like trying to, you know, like maybe you're at kind of like, like if, if, if the best sh- pistol shooter in the world is 100% and you're at like, 85 or 90% of that, then before you start trying to like start chipping away at, you know, percentage points to get just a little closer to that hundred percent, like physical fitness and fighting, like hand to hand fighting, you know, ECQC, extreme close quarters, you know, techniques and all that kind of stuff. You know, I would, I would start to consider looking at some of that stuff um, before I start, you know, like trying to become the next Jerry Mitchell, all right, which I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to do all the time, but you know, anyway. All right. So and here's the other thing. Um, someone commented that they have a, they always have a first aid kit in their vehicle. I, I suspect a lot of people do. And first aid kit is great to have in your vehicle. And by the way, very few first aid kits that I see that people have, have tourniquets in them. Okay, so that's one short failing of, of a first aid kit that's commonly found in America, that's commonly found in most Americans' vehicles. Um, the other thing is it doesn't do you any good in the vehicle uh, if you're not in the vehicle or with the vehicle or near the vehicle, right? Uh, you don't have two minutes, you know, if you're bleeding out from an arterial bleed to go run to, back to the vehicle or someone else is to grab that kit, even if it has a tourniquet in it. Why I talk about carrying a tourniquet with you, it's, I mean, these are not the greatest tourniquets in my opinion out there as far as like speed of application and ease of application, all that stuff. But SWAT T tourniquets, so easy to have and carry with you. 
you know, it's smaller than a wallet, depending on the size of your wallet, smaller than my wallet. Throw this in a back pocket, throw it in a purse. Um, it's, you know, just, just to have one of these and you can take it out. I mean, I would actually recommend having it out of the pa- package. This is just one I keep in packaging, but when I have tourniquets in places where they're staged ready for use, they're ready to roll. Like I don't want to be thinking about opening packages and stuff when someone's bleeding. Okay. So, but, but this is one you can take out of the package and you can roll it up into a roll if that fits in, uh, you know, somewhere a little bit better for, for throwing in a pocket though. That's, that's actually the other reason why this one's still in the package. That is one instance where this I'll throw in the back pocket in the packaging. It keeps it together. Um, it doesn't, you know, become a mess. It just is, you know, that is one instance, you know, these do open fairly easily, but whatever, get a little bit of basic, uh, medical training. It's very, very, very valuable. I think so. Um, yeah, less lethal stuff. Consider that. Uh, finally, you mentioned something that I think is very valuable, Matthew, and that was awareness. And uh, that's that's a skill, right? And I think that's definitely something that we've not really touched on in today's conversation. We've we've talked talked about other times, but that is a skill in of itself, and probably carries as much weight as a lot of these shooting skills. Because if if you are not aware enough of your surroundings and your environment to where you fall prey to an attack before, you know, before it's too late, you know, then that didn't do you a lick of good, right? We'd much rather avoid the encounter in the first place. We'd much rather not be picked or selected as the victim because we look like one. So, you know, we should probably go back to the beginning of this episode and re-record it and say, guys, before we talk about anything, you know, be aware, be situationally aware uh, some guys will use the term head on a swivel. Uh, sure. Like whatever it means for you. But, um, and I, I think I get what you're saying, right? Like I'm not literally like doing this, you know, like that, that, that almost is uh, detrimental as far as somebody will take notice that you're constantly, you know, head on a swivel. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It probably means that somebody's not gonna be able to sneak up on you. That's cool. But just be aware, be mindful um, and try to avoid things that look out of place or look there's something just isn't quite right. Or also listen to your gut instinct. Uh, I think that gut instinct is more accurate than it is not um, usually most of the time. So um, mm-hmm. listen to that stuff, pay attention. And then when something's not quite right or you get the wrong feeling, then avoid, get out of there. I think that then helps us avoid potentially some of the situations that could occur where we would need the gun and we'd rather avoid that in the first place. Exactly. I mean, your, 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 your draw speed, uh, means a lot less if you don't have to draw the gun. Right. So if you can perceive something that's happening and say, something's about to go down here, I'm getting the heck out of here. Then I don't care if you have a 10 minute draw or a 0.2 second draw, it's irrelevant because you're not involved in the incident. So, um, I, I think, you know, um, I think that's a big one. Totally. Well, I, I'm happy with what we've talked about today. It's been uh, lo- actually longer than I expected, but it's just been a lot of a lot of good things to talk about. I think. What What do you think, Matthew? Yeah, we had great uh, commentary from the <laughs> from the comments here in Facebook. So for sure, I mean, tons of comments. Good good info. Yeah, we really appreciate everyone that's participated today, and uh, I'm glad we got you all excited about a giveaway. <laughs> I'm glad we're able to do this. Once again, for those of you listening to the audio feed only, um, well, we'll do something again here soon that will include all the rest of you. But this was just an opportunity to to give back and, and thank those that have uh, many of these uh, that 
we, we see a lot of the same people every, every day or every week or whatever on the podcast on Facebook and we appreciate you. So anyway, thanks for checking in today, guys. Thanks for listening to us ramble on, uh, about whatever it is. I, I hope there was some value in what we had to say here today. Um, last words would be go home or go to the range or whatever it is and really make sure that you're spending good time on I say mastering, and I do use that term loosely. And by master, I mean like there's a certain baseline acceptable level of proficiency. Um, and it's not always clear where that level is, but you need to be comfortable with grip, with trigger control, with aiming that gun, with manipulating it. Okay. Um, that includes even little things like being able to I mean, load the gun up in the first place. Uh, as far as inserting a mag, rack, racking the slide, or being familiar with how to load that revolver. I know for those of you, the revolver guys, because I don't talk about you that often, you you want to give me grief. That's cool. It's, it's all cool. Um, it, it doesn't matter the, the platform of gun, but you need to be proficient with using that platform. And then also be capable of consistently and reliably getting that thing out of the holster because that's that's that, it's just got to be something that's, that's done. Uh, we see students that, they're, they're general, you know, they have some basic level of proficiency, but some of those areas are definitely lacking. And they learn that the first time they show up in one of our classes, they go, Hmm, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And that's okay. That's why they come to the class. Even for those of you that think you're good, or maybe, you know, you're good. It's still worthwhile to get quality training, show up in a class. I take classes for myself. It's good to do. I know Matthew does as well. So get out there, train, practice, dry fire, do all that stuff, and focus on those skills that really, really, I think, will make a difference. Today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. We encourage you to head on over to GuardianNation.com. Check it out. I already gave a big old spiel about that at the beginning of the episode. And then uh, this is just you know the exit reminder. And then also Law Self-Defense Level 1 Online Course Definitely encourage you to check out Attorney Andrew Branca's Law of Self-Defense course. Uh, that is, I, we touched on that at the beginning. That that, that right there is also a skill. Uh, a skill, it's a knowledge. It's it's the information piece that can be put together with a lot of the skills uh, that uh, provides a lot of the context too. You don't want to be drawing that gun or using that gun when you're not supposed to be. Right? Doesn't matter how awesome that draw is if you're drawing at the wrong time or in the wrong situation. So know the laws. Head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash L O S D level one to, to take advantage of a special offer to take that level one online course. It's a really good one. I promise you'll you will not regret doing that. And uh, it's also incredibly valuable to have as it relates to everything we've been talking about today. Matthew, time to sign off. I appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate you and all the listeners. I, I another great, great uh, conversation. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, everyone, uh, and thanks to the listeners. Those of you that only are able to listen to the podcast, we get your emails, we see your messages, we see your reviews. Thank you for your support of the podcast. It's been wonderful. It's been a marvelous ride to make it to 250 episodes, and here's to another 250 more. So, with that. A reminder to take care and to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.